This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it is completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights, our biweekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. This is Aaron Irons. I am the writer and director of the film Chest, which is making its premiere at the Defy Film Festival. And I'm Josh Croft. I am the producer of Chest, and I also play Jeff. Aaron Irons, Josh Croft. Hello, sir. Welcome to the Make It Podcast. And today we're doing a special interview live, in person, on site at the 2022 Defy Film Festival. I'm super pumped. You guys have the premiere night uh, festival screening. That's got to be exciting for you too. But let's start at the beginning. How did you guys get to know each other? Uh, Josh and I actually went to high school together. We grew up in the same town and we uh, went to the same college after that. And then we've just been friends been buds since then but how did you find each other in that school or in it was sequoia high school right yeah it was a pretty small school so i actually graduated with aaron's older brother aaron was a couple years younger than me and um aaron was the um aaron was that cool younger (laughs) version of the the brother where um uh, you know, Aaron's always been into music and stuff, and so we we'd be at parties these seniors, and I think you were were you freshman then, yeah, when we were seniors, yeah. And Aaron was always, you know, coming to parties, playing guitar. He was that kid, and oh, yeah, wow. making that, his own that, records. That guy. You know, I'm a <laughs> piano player, and I always thought to myself, I would have got a lot more ladies if I played guitar, because that's music you can take with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's you a did, myth. It's a, it's a myth. You didn't crush. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it might be because you didn't play the Spanish guy. Uh, it probably wasn't very good. <laughs> I figured yeah. that's why he was hanging with you. Yeah. This is a, this yeah. Well, the guy once with the we, the ladies will come. Once yeah. we got to college, Aaron kind of uh, started branching out into more instrumental stuff. And it's that's when we actually started working together um, was we were both at MTSU in Murfreesboro and uh, the TV station there, MTTV, yeah. the college yeah. TV station. So I was a theater major, and uh, I had been talking to Aaron about I wanted to do something on the TV station. Didn't know what, and uh, I said, I think I want to take a semester off from acting, you know, doing theater stuff, and let's come up with a TV show. And uh, I was at Aaron's house. He lived off Leaf Avenue with a bunch of our other friends, and I was over there one night, and he was like, hey, I got this new thing called Electribe. Um, I've been kind of messing around with it. I'm going to come in here and check it out. So we go in his room, and then he just starts playing like the 
greatest instrumental score stuff you can think of. And <laughs> like, it was like, just hit me like a bolt of lightning. Like I want to do something with this. Yeah. So I went home that night and wrote, um, this little TV series called dream phones. And it was just me and Aaron, you know, Aaron was the cinematographer kind of like this, you know, we just did everything. We spent no money on it. The only money spent on it was my mom gave me $50 to buy a new battery for mm-hmm. the high eight millimeter camera we had. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but that's when our first like working together stuff and Aaron actually, um, ran lights and everything else for my senior project that I did at MTSU. Yeah. So that's incredible. I had a friend named Jacob that used to go to MTSU and he had a studio in his basement when we were going to start a production company called black and tan. <laughs> Because he's a white guy or whatever. <laughs> and he thought it was very clever. I did, I did too. It was yeah. cool. But that that school, and so full disclosure for people that don't know this about me, is I also went to MTSU, graduated from MTSU. It's a music school, communication school, also a great business school, an ag school. Um, the aviation program there is kind of taken off. It's That's a really awesome. big school. I don't think people understand globally, and this audience is a global audience, um, that MTSU, I think, is the biggest college in the state. If not, it's a close second to University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. there's a ton of people that go there. By the I way. think it passed UT when I was there. Yeah. So it's probably even more now. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I was there in 2006. So that's yeah, it's something like 24 or 26,000. Uh, just to let the audience in on sort of the technical of this film in one of the impetus uh, and catalysts for having you uh, on the podcast, you guys are independent filmmakers. You made a feature film for $30,000 found footage style horror film, but you also were able to get a very, very good cast for this film. It's a SAG film. So how did you get the cast you got that uh, included SAG actors. Well, I uh, I knew a lot of the people, the the core cat, the core five people. Um, I've known them for quite a while, especially Dean Shortland, who plays David. Dean is great in yeah. everything he's in. Yeah, Dean, yeah. Dean, Dean, and I go way back from when I was playing in bands around Nashville, and he was doing a lot of promotion and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And when I decided to make the movie, I think Dean was the one person that I wrote specifically for Dean. Like I was like this is Dean and everybody else. I kind of changed the character around a little bit for that person. Um, but I've, I knew Jason cream who plays Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a theatrical production of Terminator two back you know, 10 years ago or so. Sounds it was uh, a friend of mine rewrote the script to uh, Terminator two using lines from all of William Shakespeare's works. So like, um, the, uh, there's a scene where the Terminator is like shooting the Gatlin gun at the police and he comes to the edge of the stage and it's like, let's slip the dogs of war. <laughs> like, it's that kind of dialogue. It was really amazing what they did. And, uh, Jason was the Terminator and, uh, and then Sarah Van Arsdale, she was also in that. So I met those two through that. So when I was figuring out who to cast for this, I just, went to who I knew and, um, it wasn't originally a SAG production, but, um, once we started rolling on things and it, it kind of escalated and it was going to be a lot of time for these, cause Dean was already SAG. Um, Ted Welch was, I think he was SAG at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, so I had some people and they were going to do it anyway without SAG's involvement. Cause it wasn't really a big project. And, you know, sometimes they do that. Um, but then D- Dean was like, you know, I can't, do like a 15 day shoot without getting SAG involved. So I was like, okay, well I'll see, I'll look into that. And, (laughs) um, so I went and met with the local SAG rep and he was extremely helpful with, with everything. Who is the local SAG rep? Richard. Yeah. Richard Van Cycle or Sickle. Uh, I'm not sure how to say his last name, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's all, all about helping indie filmmakers. And that process was pretty, pretty rough. Um, like it was a lot of paperwork, a lot of back and forth with somebody that I think my business rep is out of Florida. And it was just 
very, uh, very frustrating because it's like all these regulations and rules you have to follow. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, blah, blah. And (laughs) finally got through all that. And, uh, so when we started casting some of the other characters, like the the bartender and the guy at the bar and stuff like that, we just, since we were SAG, we're like, okay, send us some SAG people. Um, I talked to Cookie, the uh, Kim McRae yeah. in town. Cookie McRae, friend, friend of the podcast, yeah. and Shortly and Ted Welch, all friends of the podcast. All of them have been on before. We pretty much use Cookie's entire roster. Like, yeah. It's, that's, yeah. You know, once we, um, like that first meeting that Aaron was uh, kind of alluding to is when I met, you know, I didn't know a lot of these people when I first met Ted and Dean. And a quick little story about Dean. And during that meeting, um, there was only like 10 of us there. And we didn't really know what we we're going to do. Me and Aaron was, I hadn't really talked about being a producer of this yet. And so we were just getting all this feedback from Ted and Dean. And uh, Dean was talking like in his American accent. If you know Dean, he's Australian. He's Australian. But he was talking like I wasn't picking up on the Australian. I didn't know him. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward a couple months later, we're doing a read through and he's all of a sudden he's got this Australian dialect. <laughs> and I went up to Aaron afterwards. I said, that's an interesting choice. You know, well, did you write it like that? He said, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I mean, he's using this Australian dialect and it's really good. He goes, he's Australian, dude. <laughs> like he's, he's from Australia. Uh, and I told him that later and he was like, well, man, that's good. That's good to know. I've been trying it out. But that, that first meeting when we met everybody is, is what we talk about a lot is where, the greatest decision that we made happen that day. And, um, because I could, I could tell Aaron was really overwhelmed when they started talking about investors and how much money it's actually going to cost. Cause we didn't really have a clue. You know, yeah. we're like, we, we might could do this for $10,000, $20,000. And, uh, then they were talking about, no, it's like $200,000. I need to get investors. And we were just like, oh. and I just saw Aaron like deer in headlights. And so everybody else left and I stayed around and I, I walked back up to the door and I'm like, how about me and you just do this? I was like, how about we finance this ourselves? I was like, Hey, it's not going to cost that much. And I mean, we don't have a ton of money, Yeah. but, um, I was like, plus, you know, I just don't want anybody else to tell us how to do this. And I knew Aaron didn't want to, I I knew that that would be something that it would just eventually just say, we don't want to do it. Um, so we decided that day is like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to pay for this ourselves, pay everybody involved. Um, you know, that was the other thing is like when we talk about, Hey, it's a SAG picture and it costs dollars $40,000. It's a local thing. And they're like, Oh, everybody worked for free. It's like, no, everybody got paid. And, um, you know, and and then SAG being involved was, it was a huge plus for us because we're one of the only local films, especially at this budget level, especially a found footage movie that is SAG. And, uh, you know, credit Aaron for that. Cause he's the one that shelved all the paperwork and I would call him. He'd just be so stressed out. I'd be like, dude, I don't understand this stuff. Yeah. I literally, at one point I was so stressed out. I lost my hearing. Oh, wow. Like I, one day I woke up and I couldn't hear out of one of my ears and I didn't know what was going on. And I went and had like an MIR, MI, MRI scans and all the doctors were like, well, we don't really know much about the ears to be honest. And I'm like, great. And then <laughs> and that's what you want to hear. I was like, could it be stressed? And he's like, yeah, probably could be. Are you really stressed out? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and like the day I finished the paperwork, the SAG, it came back. That is unusual. It was so weird. Yeah. That is unusual. And anytime they would call, like anytime I had to get back into that paperwork business stuff, like my hearing would go away. It's so weird. They say stress is a killer. Yeah. It, it does. A, it's, it's something we don't understand very well. Yeah. We don't understand its impact on like how the rest of your sort of cellular function absorbs and understands how you're feeling mentally. Um, yeah. but in this case, took your hearing away. Um, yeah, it was weird. For for the filmmakers out there that are looking to do something similar, uh, can you tell us just, uh, I guess this is more a question for you, Aaron, what did you shoot with? Um, well, we shot on a uh, Blackmagic pocket cinema. That was our primary camera. Okay. Um, and then a little DSLR Rebel T6, I think it was, Canon. Really? Um, and then we had a bunch of like GoPro cameras for uh, a lot of stuff, like the interiors of cars, uh, 
when there's scenes in a cave and it's all from the point of view of the, the actors, we, we use those quite a bit. Um, that's, use the GoPros as your basically POVs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like the security cameras and, yeah. you know. Did the, you intentionally, like, what was the decision-making like for the GoPros to go, like, 4K versus standard because it's found footage? Is it better that, like, I don't know which decision you made, but can you tell me and then tell tell us why? Um, well, they were they were all 4K, and that was really helpful just because it gives you an more room to crop things because Mm -hmm. there was a lot of times when we, we were shooting and I had no idea what they were actually capturing. So like, um, especially the caves in the cave, especially because like we didn't have monitors, we have anything. So it's like, we're filming and it's like, I hope they get what I need. I hope I get the coverage I need because it's kind of a time thing because you start to get really cold down there and like, um, we had to deal with that. So like we were just, I'm getting everything out of the way and I'm like, just look this direction and stuff. So like if they were to accidentally capture something that I didn't want on there, I was able to crop and move the frame around a lot. So that helped help quite a bit. And honestly getting in, getting into this, I really didn't know a lot. I'm just, I was just figuring out all the technical stuff as I went is I'd never done any kind of filming or anything yeah. like that. Um, did and you, did you have to throw either of the, the black magic or the rebel on a gimbal because you're shooting in terrain and in the woods or anything like that? No. Um, steady the cam. Like, how, like what were the challenges of shooting in the woods? Uh, well, since it's found footage, that's one of the main reasons I went with the found footage route, um, which turns out making a found footage movie is not really easier. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, that, that's there's, a whole there's certain liberties that's you can, myth. it helps with, uh, like if you just don't get a good shot or yeah. get the perfect shot, it doesn't matter. You can kind of cheat it a yeah. lot more. Um, and so that's helpful, but then there's a whole other areas of uh, making found footage that's weird. But um, Yeah, like acting in a found footage movie is really strange. That's really strange because yeah. as an actor, like everything you do, you're taught, don't look at the camera. You know, you, it's, it's just a fly on the wall kind of thing. Yeah. But in found footage, like look at the camera. And then it, you go to that other level of like the character, Jeff, his first scene, that interview scenes like, yeah. okay, well it's a found footage movie, but you're also getting interviewed. And that was the very first thing that we shot, by the way. So it was actually one of the easier things to start off with, but we learned a lot that day because Aaron was also running sound at the time and directing and running the cameras and I mean, just everything. Um, but that interview scene was a little easier because it was set up like, you know, an interview. Right. Um, you didn't have to worry about the stuff too. You know, there's a lot of people, when I tell people that, you know, we've made a found footage movie, they're like, Oh, I can't stand the shaky cam stuff. Like I'll get nauseated. Somebody said last night, actually, um, we had, we're talking about it and she's like, how shaky is it? I was like, it's not at all. Like it's come, you know, technology's come a long way and, we definitely didn't want to intentionally make it shaky. Like that's just, right. I, I'm not the biggest fan of found footage movies. But, but how so. did you do it though? Like, like Josh and, and Aaron, like how did you, how did you keep it from being overly shaky? Considering you're in a cave, you're in the woods, people are running a lot of times or they're walking. Well, the body GoPro on their head, I assume. Yeah. The body camera stuff's definitely the most shaky. Um, but there's always, was it, it like an all software fix or was it? Uh, I think no, mostly in, it, so Steve Cross, who was, he was the cinematographer on he's this. He's a DP. Yeah. 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 Um, he said, this is another interesting thing about found footage movies is with this one specifically, it's about this documentary crew that are what you would think be professional camera people. Right. So, uh, Dean, and, Dean and Marissa's character, especially Marissa's character is really technical about that. So he wanted it to look good. And, you know, what we were, what was done a lot was Steve would be actually filming everything and Marissa would be like standing behind him, you know, and then in cases there's, you know, Marissa and, and Dean's actually holding the cameras, but it was, I mean, you didn't have to fix any of that later. I right? was mostly not really a shaky shot. stuff. Um, I mean, there's, when you watch the movie, there's definitely some flaws, especially when Dean is filming because he's, he's not paying attention to any of that. It's just right. you know, directing the camera. So stuff will go blurry at times and moving in and out, but it kind of adds to the natural feel of it. Um, and it, 
that's why the found footage format works because it gives you that liberty of being like, okay, yeah, the focus is kind of weird here for a minute and it's kind of shaky, but you know, we just rolled with it and comes together pretty well. And I try to do a lot of stationary shots as well. Yeah. Um, where somebody just puts the camera on a tripod and you see them putting it on a, on a tripod. So you know that like, cause a lot of found footage purists are like, if they see a stationary shot, they're like, no, oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not found footage. I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I have some questions about that here coming up in a second too. Just, just full disclosure. And I, I love Marissa K who I met is Marissa Grindstaff. And, mm-hmm. um, she's so funny. I, I ended up having just a crush on her. <laughs> like yeah. it's just something about a girl who's so naturally funny and isn't forcing anything. She's just funny. She's she is really almost funny. balanced foodie is yeah. It was the best. That, so. uh, we actually just, uh, a guy just gave us a review. Was that yesterday? A couple days ago. And he was in love with Marissa. Yeah. Like, yeah. and yeah. he was, she makes people fall in love with her. Yeah. That's and like no, her she's so beautiful power. and all this yeah. stuff. And she's, I mean, she's great. She's, she's great. She's actress. really goofy too, though, which is awesome. She can really turn on the, uh, like, the drama as well. Yeah. Like, she's charming and dramatic and all that stuff. And, um, and funny is funny as hell. Uh, we've talked a lot about what the film is in, in terms of like, this is found footage. This is indie. We haven't told this audience what it's about. Mm. Can we, can we just talk a little bit about the, I guess the true myth that exists in, in dark Appalachia, if you will. And why you guys decided to go ahead and make a movie about this story. You were all both told as children. Yeah. So, um, the main story, uh, is about a, a couple of hunters that were out during a, during the eighties where there was a big drought and they were hunting and they found this cave that was normally behind a waterfall, but the river had gone, gotten so low that they could see there's an entrance and they went back in there oh, cool. and they found a giant chest back there yeah. and it was wrapped in chains and had like old locks on it and everything. They tried to get it open, but they couldn't. And then, um, so they decided they were going to come, come back with some tools and stuff like that. But something happened where they weren't able to come back that day. It came in like torrential rain for several days after that. And then they went back and can, could never find the cave again. And that story was told to me as a kid uh, by my uncle. And he used to tell us that the devil was inside of it and stuff oh, like wow. that. Oh, wow. This is uh, Uncle Shag. <laughs> uncle Shag. A lot of the stories from the movie are from Uncle Shag. Um, are you saying Shaq or Shag? Shag. Oh, Shag. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's his preferred name, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And, um, so when I was in high school and stuff, me and my friends used to go up in the into the mountains and we were searching, trying to find this cave and, and never found it. But so eventually I made a movie about it instead. There you go. But somewhere out there, there is a so box. There's somewhere out there, there really is a, a chest. And there's all yeah. kinds of different versions chains. Of, of that story, too. I actually went to my 20-year high school reunion a few years ago, and I called Aaron right afterwards because I. this is when we were in the middle of making it, and uh, one of our f- friends um, says, you know, what's it about? And I told him, and then he just starts, like, telling his version of the story. And I didn't, I didn't realize like so many people knew this story because I didn't really hear it a lot growing up. Yeah. Uh, but he started telling this version of the story. So I just pull out my phone and start filming it. And I sent it to Aaron and Aaron was like, you know, we could, we could actually use something like that. Cause originally yeah. we thought we were going to do like some local interviews, kind of like, uh, what was that movie with Jack Black, uh, Bernie? Is that yeah. Bernie where they, they do that kind of the local interview. So mm-hmm. we thought originally we were going to do some of that. And have like people comment on this, right. but yeah, it's a lot of different versions of that up there. Yeah, and the other stories in the movie, um, there's about this guy Ebenezer Jeffrey, who what a name! Yeah, yeah. it's great. It, he, this was like in the 1800s, and he was also out hunting, and uh, his dogs took off into a cave, and the guy was with him, told him it's like, don't go in that cave, it's evil, and he was like, I'll go to hell for those dogs, so. He never came back. And the area up there is actually called Jeffrey's Hell. It's in the City Co. Wilderness. Like, it's wow. on maps as Jeffrey's Hell. 
the last resting place of Ebenezer Jeffrey, and that's re- referenced in the movie as well. And it's yeah. also a true story. Henry uh, Henry Haggard who plays uh, the bartender yeah. in that scene. He he tells that story. Of, yeah, of <laughs> I'm getting. Yeah, that's a little goosebumpy. Yeah. So yeah, the, the real Snow. real local legends were, were the big inspiration for the movie. And you know, growing up there, you you know, you don't really you're not scared of that stuff because I mean, I grew up where my nearest neighbor was like two miles away. Like I right. grew up on a farm and. Uh, and you know, Aaron, uh, grew up around the same area too. So all this, all this stuff was just normal. Like you would hear these <laughs> stories and you just wouldn't think anything of it. And, um, you know, it wasn't until we come over here and we start talking to people that were from cities and never really been there. And then really got it when we went to East Tennessee for a week to do a lot of the filming. Yeah. And, uh, you know, me and Aaron like grew up there, so we know all the place, but everybody else were. I mean, they were just like, there is nobody in this town. Like, there's nothing here. And we're like, well, well, they've actually added a lot of stuff since, you know, <laughs> since we, were, we lived here. And just going into the woods and doing things like that, it's everybody was scared of poison ivy. Like, everybody was terrified of poison ivy, which turned out not to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, how do you plan on dealing with the comparisons to Blair Witch Project? Uh, I'm okay with it. I think if you make a found footage movie, you're always going to get a comparison to Blair Witch because it's kind of like the godfather of... Yeah, it's kind of like the goat of found footage. I mean, it, right. yeah. found footage would have eventually found its way out somehow, you right. know, yeah. and but it really set a set a bar that everybody is going to be compared to no matter what. Yeah, anytime you do anything in the woods or in a tent in the woods, like it's going to get a comparison to Blair Witch, which I'm, I'm okay with it because I think right. Blair Witch is... It's more like Great. an homage more than oh, there's a lot this, of nods sense to Blair Witch. derivative of yeah, and there's a lot of nods to a bunch of different found footage movies. I watched probably 500 different found footage movies and while I was writing all. it, and yeah, like a certain scene, it'd be like, all right, that was cool, and kind of adopt some of the methods that they might have yeah. used for like a practical effect or something like that. I'd love to talk about some of those decision makings around found footage and tactics that maybe filmmakers can learn from as they're going into their own decision making. Uh, for, for example, um, what I know you edited this thing and it almost drove you crazy. Uh, Aaron, what, what were some of the decisions you, and, and I should mention, it's really important. I should mention your company, iron Fox, and you are, you know, Aaron yeah. irons, you scored it as well. What were some of the decisions around adding scoring on a found footage film? Because, yeah, that can be really tricky because you're not. There shouldn't be music playing, right? Yeah, but at the same time, I I don't really see it as I'm not trying to sell it as real footage, and that's kind of a big uh, problem with again the the found footage purists out there that you know if there's music in it, but I found that it really kind of enhanced the scenes quite a bit, and I watched a. Uh, a found footage movie exists, which is by Eduardo Sanchez, who made mm-hmm. Blair Witch Project. And he, he used music and it worked really well. And I was like, well, if the Godfather found footage is using music, <laughs> yeah. then I can use music. And I think it, I think it helped. And I tried not to do anything that was really too crazy. Most of the music is just in the background of, of the scene or in the car and sometimes that music will move to the foreground of the of the film just to do a transition or something. But most of the music is just like droning and just like hits and just kind of rhythmic things to build tension. And um, I was kind of on the fence about it for a long time of using that, but it really just made a big difference in how some of the scenes were interpreted i was i was very happy it. when he decided to put music on it because going back really? to like our first collaboration like it was all about the music because aaron is you know it's the instrumentalist part of him is insanely talented so when he told me he was he i knew he was wanting to make a found footage movie for a while and when he uh, first came to me and said hey i wrote this found footage movie um I think uh i think i want to do it yeah and i was like dude of course your first movie you're going to make a genre that typically doesn't have a score. Cause I'd actually ask him, I was working on an, another film with a friend of mine and uh, he was looking for somebody to score this film. So I was like, I got the perfect guy. So I'd reach yeah. out to Aaron and said, Hey, are you interested in doing that? 
And he said, well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, he was started writing the found footage movie. And he, uh, he said, uh, he's like, yeah, I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm trying to get this found footage thing off the ground. So, you know, once he decided to put that on there, I was, I was very happy. And yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's a hybrid version of things and, you know, we've never really went by rules on doing any of this. So, yeah, it's just kind of all decision-making. Are you going to go heavy on, on hits? Like you said, and, and sort of, um, I guess, droning and, and music that leads you to a hit? Or are you going to lean heavy on Foley? Or are you going to have a good mix of Foley and that to, to give the sense that, okay, well, maybe these leaves are rustling every step versus a drone? Or maybe I mix droning with leaves being crumbled and or something's off screen. Yeah. And we don't know what's off screen and here's that sound. So I was curious about that decision making and, and then also the decision making in the moment as filmmakers, how much of chest was improvised versus planning uh, ahead for the uh, shots that you were going to get for that particular day of shooting? Um, it was pretty well structured. Um, the I mean, as, as far as the dialogue goes, um, I know all of my, like all of Jeff's stuff is verbatim. Okay. Like there was only one word that I changed. Uh, that <laughs> was like, literally we were, when we were doing the commentary track a couple days ago, that was, that was one thing we talked about is, um, I mean, Aaron's writing and again, going back to how well written someone's first script is like, I think, you know, no matter what happens with the movie, it's, I think that his, first version of this script was so good. It was like 300 pages it long. Is, I mean, it was so long. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Like, and I'm, I'm reading this carries before, uh, before we decided that I was going to play Jeff. And I was like, I really like this guy, man, this is a ton of stuff. Yeah. Very, uh, but you're also long. talking about the, the many worlds theory and I mean, quantum physics and I mean like really heady stuff. Yeah. So you cap. can't improv that, you know? <laughs> so, but the, I think Ted Welch has, uh, most of his, most of his lines that are really funny came from him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he would always, Aaron always said, you know, he would do it scripted the first time. Yeah. And then he would just throw something out there. Yeah. He always did. He always did the one scripted one. And then he would do one that was just really crass or yeah. just some, something ridiculous. And most of the time we ended up using the scripted version, but some, sometimes he, he just threw out something that was perfect. Like that, uh, the line in the film, the, um, the cycle mammal line. Yeah. yeah. That's all Ted. Like that's my favorite line in the movie. And that was all. Improvised. I don't want to get killed by some psycho mammal. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all him. Uh, Papa bear and I were talking about Ted and how he's perfect for found footage films because he just really is Ted. Yeah. Like whatever movie he's in, he's, he's almost like Ryan Reynolds in that way. It's like Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds playing Ben Watt. It's just, yeah. it's him doing what he does. And Ted just shows up in movies and it's Ted Welch. In, in the woods. So the, let's enjoy Ted Welch in the woods. Okay. Now this is Ted Welch in the suburbs. And now this is Ted Welch yeah. on a date. And it's, he just brings his self to it. And that way, I think because that he can improvise like that and it feels really natural to the character. So uh, re really wonderful. Were there any of those? Though, I know that most of it was planned, but were there any other improv, um, anything else improvised outside of Ted's lines that ended up in the final cut? Well, uh, from a shooting perspective or from a line dialogue, probably not, but definitely shooting the shooting piece of it. There's a lot that we had to cut. Um, there wasn't really that much improv on that. Sometimes the location would have to change and we'd alter the scene a little bit. But uh, yeah, when we, especially out in East Tennessee, I had a pretty tight shot list and very detailed. Yeah. It, because we had to, because we only had one shot to, you know, like each day was pretty, it's like, okay, we're doing this location on this day. We have to get everything. Otherwise everything else is screwed up. So like we were, we were pretty strict about in, in that way. It's like the trick is making it feel loose when in fact, yeah. you, you and know, fast, you, you yeah. got, you've got your stuff together. We shot stuff yeah. very fast. I mean, like as far as scene set up and, you know, Aaron and Steve or machines, you know, they would, they would be in their own little world setting up the shots and everything, but yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, just waiting around for shots to be set up. And I guess a lot of that is luxury of found footage that, 
you don't yeah. have the lighting and you know you don't have a, a lot of the extra stuff because you don't need it yeah uh, that may be help but everything we did like what was any sense we for four days shot 65 pages somewhere around there yeah yeah, that's, that's a lot. Great, that's a huge amount. It's like working on a soap opera. Probably won't do it that way. Uh, <laughs> is it true, Aaron, that you were held at gunpoint? I was. <laughs> and forced into a vehicle yeah. trying to shoot this film. I, Can you tell us that story? <laughs> so that um, that was Tater. He's a... Uh, Tater? Tater. <laughs> His name's Tater. And I was back in East Tennessee. This was before, like a few months before we were scheduled to go out there. And we... Uh, I was just doing some location scouting and was planning on doing some camera tests up in the woods at night. And that main location with the big silo house in the movie, yeah. um, that place is owned by a guy that we got a location contract. Like we got him to sign a contract. He's like, yeah, you can shoot there anytime you want. And I had a key and everything to get up there. But what we didn't know is while that guy owned that side of the property there was another guy that owned the other side of the property on the between the road Mm -hmm. and um i was staying in a little cabin down the road (laughs) from up there and i walked over there one night with my camera and i was just like up in the woods filming and uh the final scene or not the final scene the movie but there's a scene with marissa coming off the mountain and going into the roundhouse and then running away i shot all that stuff myself because i wasn't going to make her fall down a mountain right and uh <laughs> right after i cut the camera on that scene i was walking back and i see this truck coming down the road and i was like oh god who's this it was about it was like nine or ten at night and uh they just pull up slam on their brakes get out both of them had guns one of them has a shotgun oh my one god. has a pistol and they're like what the hell are you doing up here blah, blah, blah. And, and i had my camera and i was like hold up like <laughs> I'm I'm supposed to be here, like because people come up to this place all the time just to yeah. like do drugs and vandalize it and stuff. So yeah, he yeah. thought I was up to something, and I tried to explain to him. I was like, "Listen, I got a contract with uh, the owner. I've just talked to him. Like, I'll call him if you want me to." And he's like, "He he wasn't having any of it. Like, he, he didn't believe me." And he's like, "Show me the contract. Show me the contract." And I noticed this. <laughs> he has a he has a name tag. Um, He's like a mechanic's uniform. It says Tater. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Short for Potator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I was, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll call the owner right now. And I, I didn't have any cell phone service. And uh, I was like, I'll have to go down to my cabin and get the contract. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or until I get cell phone service. And he was just like, get in a truck. So he <laughs> points a gun at me and I get in the back of the truck. And the, his kid was the other guy. Um, it's probably like 16 year old kid. He's got the shotgun trained on me the whole time. And I'm in the back like, and I never turned the camera on. He was like, don't hit a bump. I wish I'd have turned that camera on the, for the whole thing. It would have been great. But uh, I was kind of worried I was going to get shot. <laughs> but we get down. So we drive down the mountain and I finally get cell phone service. And I call the guy and yeah. luckily he answered the phone. This guy was like 70 years old, yeah. bad health. I was like, he's not going to answer the phone. These guys are going to kill me. And luckily he answered. They talked it out. It was all cool. And then he's like, so you're shooting a movie? And I'm like, yeah, pretty soon. And he's like, that, he was, then he was very curious about the movie. Yeah, asking me to be in it and, of and course. all stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll find a part for you. Let me call my producer, Josh. Yeah. Let him know, let him know the situation. Oh, I talked to Tater. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, what Tater. His, what was his son's name? I don't know. I'd call him Tater Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Softball. Never learned Softball. his name. Um, yeah, but he, uh, after we talked, it was understandable because apparently a few weeks before that, there was a guy that was uh, camping in one of the mines back behind that house was like squatting back there. Yeah. And his daughter was coming home one night and the guy like came down and like tried to attack her. So they had like a big ordeal with that. So when he was driving home, he saw lights up in the, in the woods and it's like that guy's back that squatter's back or something so that's that's what triggered the whole thing but after that we were we were cool he did come down a couple more times in the middle of the night while i was up there and i was shooting some stuff in the woods and he comes back up there and still got his gun yep. and i was like 
What are we doing, Tater? It's me again. <laughs> He's like, man, you got some balls to be up here in the middle of the night, and this place is haunted. It's <laughs> like, I know. That's why we're doing a movie of it. It was weird being up there by myself in the middle of the woods in that weird building, but. Yeah. yeah. Tater and Aaron always said, I don't think anybody believes me that this guy exists because Aaron's the only person ever met him in person. Okay. Like, I talked to him on the phone one time because I called him, and I'm like, dude, seriously, like, you know, I've been talking to the guy, like everything's fine. You can calm down. And he's like, man, I'm sorry, you know, just, and then he goes into that whole thing. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, stuff like that happens around there. And he never made an appearance yeah. during the shoot, luckily, but I kind of wish he would have. Aaron, Aaron actually called me like after the, the first held at gunpoint thing. He called, and I didn't know he was up there. Was and, he in tears? No, he just called. He's like, <laughs> dude, the craziest shit just happened. <laughs> And he told us, and I'm like, uh, okay, I'm not surprised because that happens up there, but I'm like, that was my question. Does right. this happen up there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't panic too much because I was like, I've got to be that would have happened here, it would have been different. But yeah. out there, yeah. All right. Everybody's all got right. guns. I'm going to get in your truck. You got me at gunpoint. Yeah. <laughs> sure, I'll get in there. Maybe we'll end up on the mountain somewhere. Yeah, nobody knew I was up there. That's no, I don't know. It's like, I'm going to disappear and nobody's going to know. <laughs> the world is thankful that you made a situation and that uh, this movie is complete. I only have a couple more questions for you guys. We'll get you out of here. I know the premiere is coming up very shortly. Uh, you have the name of... The scoring company Iron Fox. Where does the I, I get that Iron's your last name? What is where does the Fox come from? Um, well, I made a, uh, a record about six or seven years ago, a solo record that uh, me and a guy. Uh, his name was Justin Fox. Mm. He played drums on it, and we were we did a couple of shows and just made that record. And I just kept the name Iron Fox. As I he he went on to do other stuff, so I just. Uh, anytime I do solo music, I just do it under that name. Under Iron Fox. He's cool with it? Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Josh, what's the uh, goal? What's what's the plan for Chest going forward after tonight? Oh, man. What do you guys want to do with it? You know, the, the great thing about this festival, and I, I do want to talk about Defy just a little bit because please, uh, I've, I've been every year, and I was here on the very first year where, um, I mean, nothing, it really hasn't changed a lot. It's always been about these kind of films and, but I've been here every year and, uh, it just keeps getting better year after year. So, you know, Aaron and I, uh, I guess it was probably four or five years ago when we were here, we were standing outside and we're like, you know, we really want to be in this festival. We want to make something to be in this festival. And that was kind of how a lot of this started rolling. And, um, the last few years, you know, with COVID and stuff, it was, had to take the year off and uh but we we always this was the festival we we wanted to be in like yeah. there was we've getting a we've been getting a lot of recognition especially overseas with some virtual festivals won a lot of awards so far i mean really thankful for all that but defy was always our mountaintop and uh so now we're here so it's like okay what's beyond this and uh aaron and i've talked about you know different ways to we actually speaking of richard sag we had a call with him just a few days ago talking about, you know, things like residuals. And if we did decide to self-distribute, how do we do that? And, uh, you know, still a lot more research to be done, but I think for the rest of this year, we want to continue with festivals and, uh, you know, hopefully beginning of next year, um, I think Aaron's working on a Blu-ray, you know, physical copy of that and, Sweet. um, that we can sell on the website and, um, and awesome. then going to streaming services, you know, obviously is the, the goal, and this is not a theatrical movie. Um, there's just not any really good ones that are not superhero movies anymore. So uh, I think we want to find the best path for us in the movie where one, we don't want to change anything. You know, we're not changing the name. We're not, you know, there's, there's no reshoots. Like we're just not going to do that. Right. There's no need for it. And, um, and then kind of see where that goes. And, you know, eventually like certain streaming services, like, uh, to be and shutter would be great, you know, and it's where it would fall into something that more people would get to see it. But, you know, Aaron never made this movie, like wrote this movie for a massive audience. You know, it's, it's not for everybody. And we right. knew that going in and we've always tried to stay very humble about, you know, what it is and know that there's a specific audience that's really going to like it. And there are people that are just not going to, it's just not their thing. And, you know, we're not, we're yeah. not trying to change the world with it, but I think the next steps, like I'm 
uh, again, I, I thank Aaron every day for just introducing me to a lot of these people because that's again, where I met Ted. Now I'm producing Ted's next movie and mm -hmm. uh, we're almost done with that. And I'm actually acting in that too. And, you know, working with new people that I wouldn't have met because of this. And I never thought of myself to be a producer either. Like, yeah. I always wanted to be an actor and, uh, you know, I, I didn't move to LA or New York to, to do that. And I don't have any regrets to do that. And I definitely don't want to do it now. But, you know, when I took on this producer role, it was kind of out of necessity, but then I learned to really, really like it. And I don't honestly don't want to act in anything that I'm not producing. Like I'll, I'll think about it and yeah, yeah. you know, if it, the right thing's there, but uh, so there's a certain thing about having the control over it where you know that you're not just showing up and then going home, like you're part of it. Right. So, um, you know, I think that next few months is we're just kind of playing it by ear. And again, going back to that greatest decision we ever made, like we owe nothing to anybody. Yeah. We're the sole investors. And um, unless me and Aaron have some big falling out, which unlikely to happen, you know, um, this is we trust each other. And, uh, you know, we don't really talk about money a lot. And when it comes to how things work with that, we just see what happens. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'll finish on this. Um on the 27th, that'll be the one-year anniversary of your dad's passing. Well, at least his birthday, I should say. Well, well his birthday it, his is. His 27th. Yeah. And um, I know that he was one of the dedications at the end of mm -hmm. the film. Um, if he were here, what would he be saying about all this? How would he be encouraging you and, and Aaron? Well, it's funny. I uh, When I was leaving the house to come over here, uh, I was waiting on the Uber and uh, my sister's actually here tonight too. She just randomly surprised me and showed up. So, awesome. uh, I, my dad gave me this necklace that I'm wearing uh, a long time ago and, you know, I'm not a big necklace guy, but I just, I ran up and got it and put it on. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of things happen when you make a movie like this, uh, and it takes so long, the process, like you, things happen. I actually lost my grandfather, my dad's dad, yep. uh, like three days after we were filming in ACNC. I took a day off from filming so I could actually go see him because he was, I mean, he was 96 too. And right. awesome guy. And, you know, my dad's passing was a, was a freak accident. He was cutting timber and a tree fell on. Um, That's all. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was just shocking. Still is, you know, it's, it's, it'll be a year, September 30th. So um, when Aaron showed me the, the first cut with the credits on there, cause he said that he wanted to do something, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't ask him to do it. And I, I was on the fence on whether I wanted that in there or not, but you know, it brought tears to my eyes. First time I saw it. Cause my dad, um, I'll be very candid. My dad probably would not like this movie because there's too much cousin. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, my dad loved Westerns and old TV shows, but he was a very conservative Christian man mm -hmm. and, you know, did not like language. It was hard for him to sit through plays if I was saying stuff. So I wouldn't, you know, this wouldn't be his bag, but he was very proud of me uh, for doing it. A soft-spoken man didn't really know how to express a lot of that in that generation. Right. But um, I'm, I just remember that, and I'll stop on this, that the day that um, he drove me back up to the cabin that we were staying in East Tennessee when we were shooting. So I got to ride with him up there and it's like a 30 minute drive. And, you know, his father was dying yeah. and uh, we went up there to see him the day before. And so he's driving me up there that morning and we're having this conversation. And I was like, you know, how, how are you dealing with this? You know, are you processing it? And he's like, you know, I've made peace with it. And like, it was just a very open conversation we had really hadn't had. And uh, then my dad did my papa's service and, um, I think at that point, you know, they always say that you're not really a man until your father is gone. And I saw that happen with him. I didn't know that a year later I would be doing the same thing. But, um, yeah, I think um, he would be proud of me. Uh, he's never really quite understood the acting piece. But he uh, one of the best compliments I ever got is, like, this is what you meant to do, Josh. Just what you meant to do. Oh, that's great. So man. I keep that with me. And, again, you know, thank Aaron for putting that on there. It, it, it means a lot. That, that means a lot to me too. That was, a, that was great. And Aaron, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, on the internet, or even see some of your work? Yeah, it's uh, 
chessmovie.com and uh, Instagram, chessmovie, same way. Uh, no Facebook or anything like that. But the website is where all the news and chances where you can watch it and all that stuff will be on. Are so. you on there uh, individually outside of the movie anywhere? People can reach out to you, maybe ask you questions. Um, yeah, you can send me questions on Instagram. That's probably the best best place. Okay, so. and and uh, just at the handle you just mentioned. Yeah, chess movie. Okay, perfect, Josh. And I let Aaron handle all that. Like I've <laughs> I got a love hate relationship with social media. The only reason I'm on Instagram is because that's the only place chess is on there. Is there any place where we can find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, social media, uh, <laughs> any way we any email addresses, anything. Uh, yeah, jcreductions at gmail.com. Uh, jcreductions is uh, my production company. You might have to spell that. It's a oh, little, I know. Like yeah, if yeah. they, if, if somebody can actually guess how to spell that, uh, it's always like, but it's J-C-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S at Gmail. So that's, that's my email address. Um, and you know, I'm on Facebook and stuff, but I don't, you know, it's, he has no internet presence. I, yeah. Like I, in my day job, I, um, you know, I deal with computer stuff every day. And, uh, so it's, I kind of want to want that out of my personal life. And honestly, I think it's a little unhealthy sometimes to be so obsessed with it, but I'm there because of the movie. And, um, I, I definitely will follow and repost stuff with chest. But. Yeah. And I agree with you. It's a whole nother conversation that we'll save for another time. Maybe that we'll is, come back that is talk about random things. Yeah. That is sure. <laughs> exactly. That is sure to come. And, uh, gentlemen, I wish you the best of luck tonight. The movie, uh, is going to premiere here in uh, half an about hour. Half an hour. So uh, here we go. And I can't thank you enough for spending a little time uh, with, with lot, me guys. on the Make It Podcast. It's been fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Talk soon. Hey, gang. One more thing before you go. I want to talk to you about Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So join today at www.bonsai.film. It just takes a few seconds, and once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter. It's that simple. Go to www bonsai.film to get into insights our bi-weekly newsletter and join a network of film creatives like yourself and don't worry we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need and if you ever tire of indie insights we hope not but if you do simply unsubscribe no gimmicks, no games. So, one more time, go to www.bonsai.film to get Indie Insights for free. And thank you for listening. <laughs>